Chapter 10 of Original Stories from Real Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ijaz Siddiqui. Original Stories from Real Life by Mary Wollstonecraft. Chapter 10. The Danger of Delay description of a mansion house in ruins the history of charles townley mrs mason who always regulated her own time and never loitered her hours irresolutely away had very frequently to wait for the children when she wished to walk though she had desired them to be ready at a precise time mary in particular had the trick of putting everything off till the last moment and then she did but have do it, or left it undone. This indolent way of delaying made her miss many opportunities of obliging and doing good, and whole hours were lost in thoughtless idleness, which she afterwards wished had been better employed. This was the case one day, when she had a letter to write to her father, and though it was mentioned to her early in the morning, the finest part of the evening slipped away whilst she was finishing it, and her haste made her forget the principal thing which she intended to have said. Out of breath, she joined them, and after they had crossed several fields, Mrs. Mason, turning down along a venue, bade them look at a large old mansion house. It was now in ruins. Ivy grew over the substantial walls that still refitted the depredations of time, and almost concealed a noble arch on which main lions couched, and vultures and eagles who had lost their wings seemed to rest for ever there. Near it was a rookery, and the rooks lived safe in the high trees, whose trunks were all covered with ivy or moss, and a number of funguses grew about their large roots. The grass was long and remaining undisturbed, save when the wind swept across it, was of course pathless. Here the moor never wet his scythe, nor did the haymakers mix their songs with the hoarse croaking of the rooks. A spacious basin, on the margin of which water plants grew with wild luxuriance, was overspread with slime, and afforded a shelter for toads and adders. In many places were heaped the ruins of ornamental buildings, whilst sundials rested in the shade and pedestals that had crushed the figures before supported. Making their way through the grass, they would frequently stumble over a headless statue, or the head would impede their progress. When they spoke, the sound seemed to return again as if unable to penetrate the thick stagnated air. The sand could not dart its purifying rays through the thick gloom, and the fallen leaves contributed to check up the way and render the air more noxious. I brought you to this place on purpose this evening, said Mrs. Mason to the children who clung about her, to tell you the history of the last inhabitant, but as this part is unwholesome, we will sit on the broken stones of the drawbridge. Charles Stanley was a boy of uncommon abilities and strong feelings, but he ever permitted those feelings to direct his conduct without submitting to the direction of reason. I mean the present emotion governed him. 
He had not any strength or consistency of character. One moment he enjoyed a pleasure, and the next felt a pangs of remorse on account of some duty which he had neglected. He always indeed intended to act right in every particular tomorrow, but today he followed the prevailing whim. He heard by chance of a man in great distress. He determined to relieve him and left his house in order to follow the humane impulse. But meeting an acquaintance, he was persuaded to go to the play, and tomorrow he thought he would do the act of charity. The next morning, some company came to breakfast with him and took him with them to view some fine pictures. In the evening, he went to a concert. The day following, he was tired and laid in bed till noon then read a pathetic story, well wrought up, wept over it, fell asleep, and forgot to act humanely. An accident reminded him of his intention. He sent to the man and found that he had too long delayed. The relief was useless. In this thoughtless manner, he spent his time and fortune, never applying to any profession, though formed to shine in any one he should have chosen. His friends were offended and at last allowed him to languish in a jail, and as there appeared no probability of reforming or fixing him, they left him to a struggle with adversity. Severely did he reproach himself. He was almost lost in despair when a friend visited him. This friend loved the light and the sparks of virtue which he imagined would some time or other light up and animate his conduct. He paid his debts and gave him a sum of money sufficient to enable him to prepare for a voyage to the East Indies where Charles wished to go to try to regain his lost fortune. Through the intercession of this kind, considerate friend, his relations were reconciled to him and his spirits raised. He sailed with a fair wind, and fortune favoring his most romantic wishes, in the space of fifteen years he acquired a much larger fortune than he had even hoped for, and thought of visiting, nay settling in his native country for the remainder of his life. Though impressed by the most lively sense of gratitude, he had dropped his friend's correspondence. Yet, as he knew that he had a daughter, his first determination was to reserve for her the greater part of his property, as the most substantial proof which he could give of his gratitude. The thought pleased him, and that was sufficient to divert him for some months, but accidentally, hearing that his friend had been very unsuccessful in trade, this information made him wish to hasten his return to his native country. A still a procrastinating spirit possessed him, and he delayed from time to time the arduous task of settling his affairs, previous to his departure. He wrote, however, to England and transmitted a considerable sum to a correspondent, desiring that this house might be prepared for him and the mortgage cleared. I can scarcely enumerate the various delays that prevented his embarking, and when he arrived in England, he came here and was so childishly eager to have his house fitted up with taste that he actually trifled away a month before he went to seek for his friend. But his negligence was now severely punished. He learned that he had been reduced to great distress and thrown into the very jail out of which he took Townley, who hastening to it only found his dead body there, for he died the day before. 
On the table was lying amidst some other scraps of paper a letter directed in an unsteady hand to Charles Townley. He tore it open. Few were the scarcely legible lines, but they smote his heart. He read as follows. I have been reduced by unforeseen misfortunes, yet when I heard of your arrival, a gleam of joy cheered my heart. I thought I knew yours, and that my latter days might still have been made comfortable in your society, for I loved you. I even expected pleasure, but I was mistaken. Death is my only friend. He read it over and over again, and cried out, Gracious God, had I arrived but one day sooner, I should have seen him, and he would not have died thinking me the most ungrateful wretch that ever burdened the earth. He then knocked his clenched fist against his forehead, looking wildly around the dreary apartment, and exclaimed in a choked, though impatient tone, You sat here yesterday, thinking of my ingratitude. Where are you now? Oh, that I had seen you. Oh, that my repentant sighs could reach you. He ordered the body to be entered, and returned home a prey to grief and despondency. Indulging it to excess, he neglected to inquire after his friend's daughter. He intended to provide amply for her, but now he could only grieve. Some time elapsed, then he sent and the intelligence which he procured aggravated his distress and gave it a severe additional sting. The poor gentle girl had, during her father's life, been engaged to a worthy young man. But some time after his death, the relations of her lover had sent him to see to prevent the match taking place. She was helpless and had no sufficient courage to combat with poverty. To escape from it, she married an old rake whom she detested. He was ill-humored and his vicious habits rendered him a most dreadful companion. She tried in vain to please him and banished the sorrow that bent her down and made wealth and all the pleasures it could procure tasteless. Her tender father was dead. She had lost her lover. Without a friend or confidant, silent grief consumed her. I have told you friendship is only to be found amongst the virtues. Her husband was vicious. Ah, oh, why did she marry, said Mary? Because she was timid. But I have not told you all. The grief that did not break her heart disturbed her reason, and her husband confined her in a mad house. Charles heard of this last circumstance. He visited her. Fanny, said he, do you recollect your old friend? Fanny looked at him and reason for a moment resumed her seat and informed her countenance to trace anguish on it. The trembling light soon disappeared, wild fancy fitted in her eyes and animated her incessant rant. She sang several verses of different songs, talked of her husband's ill usage inquired if he had lately been to sea, and frequently addressed her father as if he were behind her chair or sitting by her. Charles could not bear this scene. If I could lose like her a sense of woe, he cried, this intolerable anguish would not tear my heart. The fortune which he had intended for her could not restore her reason. But had he sent for her soon after her father's death, he might have saved her and comforted himself. The last stroke was worse than the first. He retired to this abode. Melancholy creeping on him, he let his beard grow and the garden run wild. One room in the house the poor lunatic inhabited, and he had a proper person to attend her and guard her from the dangers she wished to encounter. 
every day he visited her, the fight of her would almost have unhinged a sound mind. How could he bear it when his conscience reproached him and whispered that he had neglected to do good, to live to any rational purpose? The sweets of friendship were denied, and he every day contemplated the saddest of all sights, the wreck of a human understanding. He died without a will, the estate was litigated, and as the title to this part could not be proved, the house was let fall into its present state. But the night will overtake us, we must make haste home. Give me your hand, Mary, you tremble. Surely I need not desire you to remember this story. Be calm, my child, and remember that you must attend to trifles. Do all the good you can the present day, nay, hour, if you would keep your conscience clear. The circumspection may not produce dazzling actions, nor will your silent virtue be supported by human applause, but your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. End of chapter 10